You know, one of the things that was interesting that came up for me uh, even after, even after uh, just this last movie on uh, Star Trek is there was actually one scene in the film, one very, very quick scene, and um, I totally uh, welled up with emotion, got really, uh, you know, kind of that weird guy in the movie theater, like crying at a really not very sad scene. And, um, and I was unpacking this last week or whenever I'd seen the movie with, with somebody, and they said, well, you know, Eric, they said, uh, they said art is designed actually to kind of, uh, kind of mainline straight to our subconscious. You know, which was, which was funny considering a person who had spent so much of their, their life making art, you know, trying to produce art, living in the art world, that I had forgotten that this random scene that caused this emotional reaction in me, and the guy was like, dude, remember, like, that's what art's designed to do. And sometimes when we go to a movie or something and we have a, a reaction that we can't control, you know, it might be sadness, and it might be anger, it might be, it might be just some, something that brings something up. And a lot of times, even in my case, like, I just kind of shrug those things off and, and go on to the next or take a, take a bite of popcorn or whatever, and what I was reminded of is those things point to things that are going on inside our heart. And sometimes it's really, really smart to make a note of those scenes and those reactions and then go back later and be like, what was it about this that caused this reaction? Um, and, and as a believer and as a person of faith, then I kind of then point that to kind of where am I at in my spiritual journey? God, are you trying to tell me something about my life that I need to look at? And so that's why we do this. And um, I don't know if we'll do it every year. We haven't done it in a few years, but uh, we spent some time doing it this summer and, and we'll see what happens next summer. But today, as I mentioned last week, this is a sequel to a sermon that I started last week. So we're hoping that it's gonna go better than Independence Day 2. Um, we started off looking at this scripture and the story in the book of Acts in Acts chapter eight. And we're gonna go back there again today. So if you have your Bible, I'd, I'd invite you to turn to turn there, we're going to look at uh, this really cool story and this interaction with this guy. We talked last week about this guy named Philip and uh, how his uh, connection with the movie Star Trek was the whole phrase to boldly go. And we talked about how Philip boldly went, you know, when God said, basically, go, hey, travel down this road, then go talk to this person. And what it means to be a person who's prepared to boldly go and listen to the Holy Spirit even when it seems uncomfortable. Well, now we're gonna actually go back through the same passage of scripture and look at it from another person's perspective. So what I wanna do is just start with the text and uh, invite you to just read along with me as we go through it. This is starting in uh, verse 26. <clears throat> so as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza, and so he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So we're gonna look at it uh, today from the perspective of the other main character, the main, other main human character in the story, and that's the eunuch. This guy, this Ethiopian eunuch, we're told. Um, so just to start off with the basics, uh, let's take a look at this map, see where Ethiopia is. Um, the ancient 
country designations are not always exactly what the modern ones are, but you can kind of see Ethiopia down, the, the, down at the bottom of the map. Um, Jerusalem would be just to the right of, of, of Cairo in Egypt, right? So it's not really indicated, but you can see where they're at. And they're not really all that close. Uh, it's, a, it's considered a, a pretty exotic location by ancient standards. And we're told that this guy is a eunuch and he's a high-ranking official. And I hope I don't have to go into so, too many details about what a eunuch is. I think we probably get the, the idea. Uh, let's just say that some of his masculine parts were not fully functioning. Um, and a lot of high-ranking officials in, in certain government positions were eunuchs, uh, especially, like to be quite funny, especially guys who had supervision over a king's harem. Uh, you can kind of put two and two together of why you'd want a eunuch in charge of all the king's wives. Um, <clears throat> so this guy, uh, but they're not like slaves. They're not like necessarily, you know, kind of second-class citizens. We're told this guy actually has a lot of authority. And he's from the queen of Ethiopia, but we're told that he has come to Jerusalem to worship. And what this means is that he is on some kind of journey with God, right? He is, he is on some kind of spiritual quest, a spiritual path that somehow he has heard about Judaism. He's heard about Yahweh. He's heard about the God of the Jews. And he has come to Jerusalem to experience worship at the temple because for the Jews, like the temple was where worship happened. And there was only one temple, and it was in Jerusalem. So if you were seeking the God of the Jews, if you were seeking Yahweh, you were expected to make some kind of pilgrimage to come and offer a sacrifice in Jerusalem to worship. Uh, and then Philip comes up to him, and the story, we, we read it last week. Philip, here's the Ethiopian reading from this scroll, reading from Isaiah, and in the, in the ancient uh, world, that's how you read. You didn't read silently. You only read out loud. So there's nothing odd about this. Philip, here's this guy reading the scroll. The, uh, the Holy Spirit says, go talk to this guy. Philip walks up to him and says, hey, you, what are you reading? And the, the, uh, and the eunuch says, well, I'm reading this scroll. And, and the passage he reads comes from Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. Then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet Isaiah talking about him or someone else? And then this text says, so beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. This is like the easiest conversion story in the history of mankind. If you've ever actually been involved with somebody uh, kind of on their spiritual journey, it doesn't usually happen this way. Um, but but uh, God is interacting in a powerful way in this conversation. And then as they rode along, they come to some water. The eunuch says, look, here's some water. Why can't I be baptized? They work it out between the two. He ordered the carriage to, start, to stop. They went down into the water and Philip baptizes him. <clears throat> and uh, this is a really, as I said, a really, really awesome story about what it means to follow the Holy Spirit, I think if you're talking about it from Philip's perspective. But I think if, as we look at it from the Ethiopian's perspective, as from the eunuch's perspective, I think this story begins to draw out some really, really, really powerful and even sometimes challenging truths about God and about the invitation that God gives to people. 
uh, I think the eunuch, first of all, is on his own journey to boldly go where no person has gone before. You know, we're told that uh, he's, he's from Ethiopia. And I was trying to figure out like, well, what does this mean in terms of what he had to go through to travel to Jerusalem? So I did what we all do in this day and age and I, put, and I Google mapped it. So uh, Google Maps says basically this. Uh, it would take 34 days to go from roughly modern Ethiopia to Jerusalem. And if you notice the text, like he's in a carriage, but the carriage is not like moving fast. Like Philip can walk right up to the carriage. So this is not a quick journey. Let's just be generous and say between 25 and 35 days. He leaves his home. Maybe he was sent to Jerusalem on some other official errand. I don't know. The text does not say that. The text says he has come to Jerusalem to worship because somehow he's heard about this God. We don't know how, but somehow in this, in this distant land, he has heard about this God who has designs to rescue the whole world. And so he makes this journey, 35 days. Has anybody ever gone on a journey of 35 days to do anything, right? <clears throat> and the journey, I wanna suggest to you, uh, actually doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. Because he's come to the temple, because that's where you have to go to offer a sacrifice. Well, the problem is, is that there's a line in, in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse one, that actually explicitly forbids eunuchs from coming into the temple. Uh, I, I decided not to put it up there just because there'd be too many snickers and no offense to the junior high members of our community, but I, I, just, I think we'd lose half the community if I actually read the scripture. Just trust me, you can look it up with your parents afterwards. So he goes through this journey of 25, 30 days. And he gets to the temple. And I don't know how the interaction went down. But I, sent, I, I, I believe he probably came and said, I've heard about this God. I've been investigating him. I've come all this way. I want to worship with him. And I believe that probably something along the lines of the temple, uh, you know, temple folks, the priests, the folks who are, you know, their hospitality team at the doors <laughs> said, sorry, man, this ain't for you. Now, can you imagine, you know, 30 days? And, and not like, and not like uh, you know, not like I want to come and, and, and get paid for something, not like I want a reward. I just want to be a part of this faith journey. I want to be a part of, God's people. I want to be on the inside of this movement only for someone to say, you can't because of something that's wrong in your body. And uh, there's, other, uh, there's other scriptural um, details that would actually say it's not just about your body sometimes, it's about the state of your soul and, and you can't come in. And so we're told, right, so he's, he's, he's reading this scroll. And you have to understand what scrolls were in, in the ancient world. Uh, books were not cheap. A scroll, especially a scroll the size of Isaiah, cost a lot of money. And the text says that he's a man of means. So he spends a lot of money. 
And I don't know the details of this, but I don't think it takes a lot of imagination on my part to think of a guy who has journeyed for 30 days to the, to the temple. And then he said, well, you can't come in. And he probably just turned his back and he's like, well, what can I, what can I do? And the hunger, like there is every reason for this guy to say, well, you know what? Then I want no part of this movement and I'm gonna go back. And I guess that says a lot about God. So, so I don't care about your God anymore. But you know what he does? He actually says, well, you know what? If I can't come in, maybe I can just, maybe I can just hear more of the story. Maybe I can just take part of this written story that you have of this God and I'll just buy that. I don't know why I can't come in. I wish I could. But if I can't, maybe I'll just take this with me. So he does the only thing he, he, he has the option to do, and he buys a scroll. And he's reading it, and we're, we're, said that, we're told that, you know, he's in, he's in the part of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, and Philip shows up and, and has this interaction with him. And then it says, Philip shared with him the gospel about Jesus, the good news about Jesus. And I'm sure that Philip was like, yes, you know, the guy that was led to, to a slaughter, the, the lamb, that was Jesus. And I'm sure that there was a connection there about the temple and sacrifice. But I actually think there might have been something more that went on. I don't know what Jesus' stories were circulating at this point. I mean, Jesus had just been there. He just, ministry had just ended. And people were still probably telling stories about him. And there's one story, I think, that really, really speaks to, I think, what the eunuch experienced on the, on the negative side, but on the positive side. And I actually think it impacted what Philip might have said and done with this eunuch, and I want to just point to it. It's one of the more challenging stories to me as we go to the table today. It's in Mark chapter two. You guys know me well enough to know that like Mark's, Mark is, love the gospel of Mark, just what it says about insiders and outsiders. Uh, so the text is in two, it starts in verse 13. It's gonna be familiar for those of us who were here a few weeks ago and heard about Zacchaeus it's Jesus with another tax collector. Jesus went out to the lake shore again and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Eric, not really the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. You guys remember who the tax collectors were? They're not popular people, right? But Jesus goes to this guy, he says, follow me, be my disciple. That's a big thing in the gospel of Mark. Jesus said to him, so Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So a couple of things about this story. First of all, I think disreputable sinners is a great name for a band. <laughs> Second thing, I think I may rename our growth group on Thursday to the disreputable sinners. Ron, you okay with that? Ron's in my growth group. Travis, 
If you want to come hang out with the disreputable sinners, we, we meet here at 6.15 on Thursdays. So here's what's interesting about this story. In the Jewish culture, there were two kinds of sinners. They had two words for them, two concepts. Uh, the one uh, concept in Jewish word was, uh, referring to sinners were, were the Amharets. And the Amharets were people who, they were common people. Um, in, in today's terms, we might consider them like religiously or spiritually lazy. They didn't really care. Maybe they were a little bit apathetic about church. Maybe they you know, didn't come to growth group every week. Maybe they, they were kind of take it or leave it people, right? And I think we all probably know people like that, or maybe you've even been, maybe you're that person now where you're kind of like, you know what, I can kind of take or leave church, whatever. I go, I come, I don't. It's the coffee's complimentary. It's good. But there was another concept and another word for sinner in the Jewish culture, and that was resaim. And Resaim was another category altogether. These were flat out wicked, immoral people. Now just hear, that, hear those words one more time. Wicked and immoral. These are people who are not apathetic about God and church. These were people who were anti-God and church. We don't, we don't care about living our life the way God wants to live our life. And what this scripture hints at is that Jesus is not just down with hanging out with the Amharets, with the religiously lazy. I think that's an easy category for us church people to get behind. Yes, Jesus loves people who don't get up and come to the nine o'clock. He loves those 11 o'clock people too. <laughs> but the text actually hints at the idea that Jesus is okay with hanging out with the wicked people. The people who say, I want no part of your God. And Jesus is like, that's okay. I'll sit down with you and have a meal. And he does this, notice. He does this, this meal with disreputable sinners. And there's no precondition that he puts on the meal, is there? He doesn't say, let's go hang out with the disreputable sinners Maybe they can swing by the local synagogue and make a hefty contribution to the, ch to the church on the way there so they won't be quite so disreputable. Jesus says, no. Let's have a meal together before your life is straightened out, before you look like a church person. And Jesus was not ignorant about, about texts that, that talk about disreputable people. He wasn't ignorant about, uh, about wicked, immoral people and what the law and what the Bible said about it. I think Jesus knew his Bible better than we know his Bible. But he knew it all. But I think Jesus knew and, and was trying to tell his culture something so interesting and so profound, which is simply this. You can get 100, you can get 100% on your Bible test and still miss the point of God's movement in the world. Because when the eunuch shows up at the temple, the people at the doorway and the gate of the temple, they get 100% on their Bible test. Deuteronomy 23 says you can't come in. But Jesus' life and his ministry says, you got a great score on that, but you have missed the point of what God is trying to do in the world. 
And that is to invite everybody to this party. To say there are no barriers to coming in. I heard a church leader say it this way once. He asked a question of pastors. He said, what are you asking people to convert to before you ask them to convert to Jesus? Are you asking them to live their lives a certain way before they start following Jesus? Are you asking them you know, to, to sign on to a certain uh, set of, of standards and beliefs and behaviors before, before they can follow Jesus? Because for me, in my life, what I'm challenged by is that, you know what? I don't get to be the gatekeeper. I wish sometimes I was because, let's face it, um, people's behavior challenges me. I meet lots of you guys through the community and, and, and I understand that people are struggling and I understand that people make bad decisions and sometimes I wish like, man, like you really need to just go away and get your life straight. But that's not my role. My role is that, you know what? If you wanna come into this, Jesus says, he wants you here. <laughs> so it's not my role to say no. Jesus says, I have come to call not the righteous, right? But who? Those who know they're sinners. So Philip is talking to the eunuch. This guy that's just been rejected and turned away. And I said, you know, the scroll uh, is, I mean, I don't know how big the scrolls were, but they were probably bigger than this. And, and he's over here in Isaiah 53. And I think Philip knew his Bible too. I think Philip knew his Bible really well. And I think Philip said, oh, hey, I see you're reading over here in Isaiah 53 about the, the, the lamb. And then I think Philip said, you know what? There's something more for you. He's like, I think there's something really cool. And I think he said, roll the scroll a little bit more open to uh, Isaiah 56, which would just been like a little bit down uh, in the scroll. And then I think Philip read this to this unit. I think he read this. I think he said, read Isaiah 56, starting in three. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be a part of his people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house, that's the temple, a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. I think when the, unit, I think when the text says that, that Philip told him about the good news about Jesus, I think there were two parts of the message. I think he was said, look, there was a lamb and he was slain and your sins are forgiven. But I think he said, guess what? There's more. And I think he said, guess what? 
this God and this Jesus wants everybody to come to the party. And it doesn't matter if your body is not whole. And it even doesn't matter, according to Mark chapter two, if your life is not perfect and if you don't have it all together, Jesus is like, come to the party, man. This is something for everybody. I think Philip's like, I understand that your heart was just broken. But I think he said, but look, there's more. God wants you in on this. And can you imagine what must have, could have broke, broken open in that eunuch's heart to have just come so far and to be heard, heard this rejection, but then to actually for Philip to intercept him and say, that wasn't God's intention. Yes, Deuteronomy 23 is there, but you can get 100 on the Bible score and miss the point. And the point is, God has a plan for you and you are part of his people. And you are invited to the party. So here's where this ends up for me. I think there's a tendency in God's people, and I want to be really, really careful here. I think there's a tendency for God's people to be a little bit uh, amped up about who gets to come to the party. I think Mark 2 and the Pharisees going like, hey, why is Jesus hanging out with such disreputable scum? You know what? I think we still do that to this day. I think we all collectively have a Pharisee inside of us. I know I do. Jesus, why are you hanging out with that guy? That lady? Do you have any idea what they did? And Jesus is like, yes, I do. There's always a list, I think, of, uh, throughout history of the people that God's people want to be able to come to the party and a list of people that they'd rather not show up. And I think we just need to own that as a church. Not just as a big C church, but even as an E3. Who are the people that you kind of like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And behind that is, is a really, really cool explosive thought. And I think it's this. I think we have good intentions. Or it's like, man, if, if those people start coming to this church, then people are gonna think that we are like not holy because God's people are called to, be, called to be holy and set apart. But I think what Jesus's life tells me is that Jesus is not afraid of broken people. And Jesus rubs up against broken, stained, dirty, disreputable people. And he's always like, you know what? It doesn't bother me. But I think we wanna protect Jesus from those people. And Jesus is like, I don't need protection. I've been doing this a lot longer than you have. And, and uh, so the way I would say it is simply this. Um, we have a tendency to think that brokenness somehow dilutes or stains the holy. But I think the biblical truth is that the holy heals brokenness. So we don't need to protect God and protect Jesus from people. The second thing it tells me is that I, I, I sort of get, I'm really curious and, and even just really, really interested in the concept of triage uh, and, and, and triage nurses, right? And the whole process of, of when you're in, you're in an ER or, a, or a, a battlefield situation, like you're just overwhelmed with victims and the process that nurses and, and medical professionals have to go through to go like, okay, this person gets treated first, this person second, this person third. It's fascinating. If no, no other reason that it deals with issues of life and death, you know? And I was just learning, I was just listening to something this week about it, um, about the, the evaluation process of how 
people get treated first. And Jesus says in Mark 2, I love it. He's like, look, who needs a doctor? Not the healthy people. The sick people need a doctor. And I think sometimes I slip into the role. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's not you. I slip into the, people, uh, the perspective where I think I'm the triage nurse. And I go, well, well, you, you need treated first. You I'm not so sure about. And you, I don't know if you get, I don't know if you get to see the doctor today. And the story of, of, of Philip and, and this guy from Ethiopia in Mark chapter two basically tells me, look, I need to keep in mind that first of all, Jesus is the doctor, not me. I can't treat people. Jesus does it. And I like to think of myself as, well, well, I at least get to sort out who gets to, who gets to see the doctor, right? And Jesus is like, not so much. Eric, you may not even be the ER nurse. I don't get to say, okay, you're a one and you're a two and you're a three. My job, and, and I think the job of the church is basically like everybody's a one. Because last time I checked, everybody's broken. <laughs> so we all need to see Jesus. And then the last thing is simply this. Uh, and this follows from the second, really. You know what? It's my job is to bring my own brokenness and other people's brokenness into proximity with Jesus. And then just watch what happens. I think this Ethiopian eunuch, he made a choice to boldly go on this journey to Jerusalem. And he was told when he got there, look, you are not a one, you're not a two. I don't think you get treated. But thankfully, on the way back, someone inter interacted and intercepted his life. And you said, you know what? That was not the vision for God that God has. There's this guy named Jesus and he has a vision for everyone to come to the party. And it doesn't matter if you're broken and busted up. It doesn't matter even the choices you've made in the past. What matters is that there's a doctor. And then the gospel spreads, you know, this, this, this key moment of the gospel going from Jerusalem down to Ethiopia. It's a spreading out. And I think that's worth not celebrating just the, we're celebrating the historical part of it, but the fact that the message of the thing, the gospel is that, oh my gosh, my brokenness is actually not a barrier to experiencing the healing of Jesus. It's actually the very thing that gets me in the door. So today, as we go to the table, um, the invitation to communion today is that this is a lavishly open party. Lavishly open. We're not into turning people away from the door. However, Jesus does say that I'm a doctor for the people who know that they're broken. So all it requires is an admission that I don't have all the answers. All it requires is an admission that I need God. I need something bigger than myself. The table is not a declaration of righteousness. It's not a declaration of, look, I made it into the club. <laughs> it's a declaration, unless you call the club the disreputable sinners club, which, okay, good for you. The table is a declaration that there's a God who has a vision for everybody's life.
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I pass on to you what I've received from the Lord himself, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. And Jesus says, just do this to remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. This is an agreement confirmed in my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray and thank God for this table.